Welcome back to a conversation on the book of John. Today we're jumping into this moment where Jesus claims himself to be the water of life. Enjoy. Hey guys, it's just Greg and Zach today. Scott's in a canyon. He's he's out west. He's exploring the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. Wild blue yonder. <laughs> he's, uh, he went west. He's in family. Phoenix with the fam. Yeah, went to Arizona. They come back tomorrow. Yeah. He'll be, he'll be there on Sunday. I think there's so much... When one of us are gone, that Scott always talks about why would anybody ever do this job alone? And it's really even more clear, like, when we have one less of us on the team, the little bit of extra weight that gets added. Uh, but then for the person who's gone, feeling the freedom to be able to actually take a real trip away. Because I know a lot of pastors probably, when they take trips, they're not actually gone. They're like constantly checking up on things and uh i'm glad that we can do that i'm glad that scott can just be in arizona yep go explore the grand canyon i hope they went to the grand canyon i think they did i think i saw pictures if you go to arizona and you don't go to the grand canyon you made a mistake (laughs) i don't really know anything about arizona honestly have you been no I know the Grand Canyon's there, and even that I don't actually know for sure. Like, is it really? Or have I just been, like, believing a lie my whole life? <laughs> is it really? <laughs> <laughs> like, Grand Canyon's actually in Arkansas uh, somewhere. Have you been out west at all? We went to Boulder for my honeymoon in That's 2011. That's not west. That's mostly west. It's the east side of the Rockies. It's, you're not west until you're west of the Rockies. It's mostly west. We went to Estes Park for a day. It's west of today, <laughs> right now, west yeah. of this. Yeah, anything west of the Midwest is... West for me. No, I have not been... Denver is still Midwest. Well, they're kind of. They're way cooler than the Midwest. The ride from Boulder to Denver is a way cooler one-hour drive than anything I can have here. The restaurant experience that we had in Denver, the the Boulder experience, everything about it was a thousand times cooler than my midwest life (laughs) wow you're really really talking up the twin cities Uh, no honestly what it is i love the mountains i love i love the mountains there's nothing like them you just once you go if you like mountains at all then when you live in a place that doesn't have them it just feels a little less cool there are people that feel that way about like the ocean Mm -hmm. i don't but the mountains i get it yeah yeah. Driving driving through them, hiking in them, be just being in them yeah. in the forest and the mountains is just incredible. I want to meet somebody who's completely opposite, who like <laughs> whenever they drive through Gary, Indiana, they're just like, I'm home. <laughs> never. That's never happened. <laughs> the whole stretch of Illinois, they're like, just let me sleep on the side of the road. This is my home. That's bad. Yeah. I don't like driving through the Midwest. Growing up in Michigan and being in school in Minnesota. Gary, Indiana is not my picture of the Midwest. No, but I would say it's, they call it the armpit of the Midwest for a reason. Well, sure. Yeah. There's not, I mean, there is better, but at least on the drive I from, think of more like cornfields. Yeah, lots, lots of corn. When, you, when, I, when someone says drive through the Midwest. Lots of corn. Iowa and Kansas and even huge parts of Minnesota. I mean, you got to grow up near the greatest lake of all time, and by lake I mean ocean, but I had the actual great lakes that I grew up near, and that was cool enough. Lake Michigan was fine. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Tahoe. Oh, 
I imagine having, that's probably in Arkansas as well, isn't it? <laughs> imagine having the Great Lakes experience, but then in the middle of mountains. Yeah, I'd go that's for Tahoe. it. I'd go for it. Yeah, that's Tahoe. Yeah, it's incredible. Tahoe's probably one of the most incredible places on earth. I've talked about Michigan a few times. I've brought up some reasons why you should visit, and they're not good reasons. The only other reason you should visit is to check out all the potholes. Really good potholes in Michigan. Better than Minnesota? Yeah. Oh, way better. There was a winery in my hometown, and uh, one of their marketing campaigns, um, probably seven or eight years ago when I was visiting, on a billboard coming into my hometown, they were advertising because they had just done wine, and they started making this vodka. And they advertised it as very smooth vodka, and it said smoother than Michigan's potholes. Yeah. That That's very bad marketing. Uh, every Michigander would be like, oh, yeah, that's so funny. I'm going to go pick some up because yeah, so. everybody knows the potholes are really bad. Yeah. Well, good old Midwest. It's uh, a different life out here. If you could pick any other state to live in permanently, where would you go? Oregon's pretty high on my list of favorites. How far were you from Oregon, where you grew up? Where I grew up? Yeah. Like still like, like 15 hours? five or six hours? hours to the border. I literally have no concept of how far geography is over there. <laughs> I mean, California's big. It's a big boy. But to drive from the top of California to the bottom, it's like okay. 20 hours. Something like that. Yeah. I would say the corners of our country are like these magical Narnia zones to me. So like Oregon, Washington, <laughs> Maine, and the whole like Northeast. I'm like what even goes on there? I want to go to Maine just because it seems magical. You should go to Maine. I want to go to Maine. And Maine is magical. It's rainy and you eat you eat lobster. Lobster. On the pier. Clam chowder. Yeah. I, I like Maine. Yeah. Maine's a good place. Yeah, I've never been anywhere close. I was in New Jersey for one summer, and that's not close. Jersey is a very different experience. No, it's not close. Um, if you go to Boston, the best way to do it is go to Boston and drive up. How far? Six hours? <laughs> no, it's like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> no comprehension. Thank you for coming to my geography class. I mean, Maine's big. You can go way deep. But if you just want to get to the edge of Maine and get the Maine experience, yeah, it's like an hour and a half or I something. Go, I go to Bangor. I don't even know what's in Bangor, but I'd go just because it's the capital, right? That's the main... you got to go to Bangor. I don't know. I don't know. Portland, Maine's supposed to be a big deal. Yeah. I haven't been there. You know, one thing we haven't done on our podcast in a while is even talked about what's going on in the corner church world. Every yeah. week, we don't even bring it up. Don't even bring it up. That's because nothing happens when <laughs> COVID is a thing. We're almost out. Greg and I are getting our vaccines soon. And by Greg and I, he means that <laughs> I got denied and he got accepted. Uh, it's good that like that's not our... Uh... You know, if I'm the last to get vaccinated, I'm just going to play it off like I'm just... I am giving up my spot for everyone else to You've get theirs it. first. You've yeah, you really embodied Jesus. Everybody in the entire everybody in the entire Twin Cities is going to get vaccinated, and then I'm going to go come down with it, with a case of COVID, <laughs> and be laid up in the hospital and yep. have to be on a vent. Yep, Scott and I will be at Magic Noodle thinking about you. Writing. We didn't do anything fun without Scott. We still have time. We still have two days. Well, a day and a half. The thing is, it's rainy, and I don't really want to go out and do anything when it's rainy. No. Just want to be inside. It probably wasn't rainy in Phoenix. No. It looks sunny in their pictures. Um, completely unrelated. You would love Phoenix, actually. Yeah? Because it's desert mountains. 
Have I ever been through Arizona other than in the sky? I don't think so. Other than in the sky? I don't think I've ever been through... New Mexico? Been there? No. Pretty much that whole area. Have you ever crossed the Rockies? Um, Yeah, but not in a car. Oh, you went to Alaska. I went to Washington and Alaska. Yeah. Uh, But Washington was a quick stop to see my mom's friends, so it's not like we explored a bunch. Yeah, I just, I don't go over there. You know where else I want to go? Montana. There's nothing out there, but I want to go out there anyway. Yeah. It'd be fun. It's just nothing. Joy and I have talked about traveling because we, we have not traveled a lot. And it just, I get the I It's going to be draw. a while before you travel. Well, maybe. Or we just do it. Like when my dad, when I was 12, decided, all right, family, we're getting in our Chevy Venture and we're driving from Michigan to Alaska. Oops. And uh, yeah, that was a week of craziness on the way there and a week of craziness on the way back. Was it paved at that time? Yeah, everything was paved. It's not like we drove dirt roads. There's parts of Alaska. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there there are parts that are unpaved. Well, there's even so many towns you can't get to by boat, but other than by boat. Or well, by... I think if you go to like Juneau, it's paved. But I think if you yeah. try to drive to like Anchorage, I think there's large parts that aren't yeah. paved. I would say my town I was born in. My dad was a police officer there, and you couldn't get there except by plane. So everybody just it was an island, and then most of the roads were dirt. So it just took a long time to get everywhere. But it was small enough that it wasn't. I mean, you weren't driving hours and hours. But it's just a different life. And granted, this was the 80s, so that alone made it different life. But I wonder today, <laughs> like, there's a salmon packing company in my hometown that is Probably still, still operating, still still going strong. I want to go visit just because. I had a girl that I went to college with that every summer she would go back to Alaska to work in uh, salmon or some sort of yeah. cannery. And she would make like 20 grand in like three months. Yeah. there. But she would work like 12 hours a day. Yep. She would live on premise. It was kind of this. It was weird. Yeah. Super weird. That's fishing culture. If there's a place I would want to spend my summers, it would be Alaska. Because the sun, the sun in summertime is just a weird it's thing. It's always there. I just remember as a kid when Are we visited. Are there any big disc golf courses there? Oh, I'm sure. What else do they have to do with their time? Oh, man. I build stuff so they don't freeze yeah. to death in the winter. Yeah, it could be. Although it's not that cold in some places because you got the Pacific right there that keeps you a little bit warmer I mean if you get up way north you go up to Nome it's terrible but Juno wasn't really that cold when I visited I went swimming I, I would the, venture to say it, in the winter it's usually colder here than it is in Juno. yeah we got the wide open we got no lake effect or ocean effect or whatever they call it up there uh, I remember swimming in the bay in summer and I remember playing outside as a kid when I lived up there. Like, I don't remember many points where my parents said, no, you can't play because it's too cold out. Because, like, literally out our back porch, you could look out over the bay in Haynes, and there were mountains right out my back door, which, gosh, that's cool. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. I remember being, a, I mean, most of my life growing up in Sacramento, we lived in the valley, but you could physically see the mountains. You could see the Sierra Nevadas from... Wherever you're at, mm. at any point, and so if it was like crazy sunset or something, that it would just be a purple sky with these mountains. Yeah. It was always beautiful. You were at uh, so from like Portland to where you lived would be like if we tried to go from here down to like Kansas City, that kind of a drive. 
Uh, Portland would have been ten-ish hours. Oh, it's still more. Yeah. I'm just thinking you had you had pretty warm weather growing up. Yeah. Not a lot of snow. Never snow. Okay. Yeah, Sacramento to Seattle, the drive we did a million times because <laughs> that was college. Uh, that was 14 hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Seattle and Portland are about three hours from each other. What's the worst drive you've ever done? The worst drive? Um, probably when I moved from California to Missouri and my brother and I did the entire thing in three days. Yeah, gross. And that was like everything I owned in the back of my Honda Fit. And uh, Your brother was in the passenger seat? Yeah. Good. Yep. Yeah, we just, he didn't want to drive much, so I did almost all the driving. Yeah. I've done a lot bigger trips other than that, but because of how fast we were going and just like the circumstances of it, it made it, it wasn't a for fun trip, which makes driving miserable. Yeah. Yeah. When we moved to Virginia, my friend James and I, we got in his car, we drove 18 hours straight, and then we worked for two weeks and tried to find apartments. And then we drove back 18 hours straight, and we spent two days packing up a moving truck, and then we got back in and drove back, and we planned on making a two-day trip. And uh, the first night, we had gotten a hotel a certain distance away, and uh, we got through the first day, and we were nowhere close to the hotel that we had gotten a price line for, so we had to stop and get another one. And then the second day... We were like, all right, well, we should be able to make it today. We get through the day, and we still ended the day five hours short of Virginia Beach. So instead of paying for a hotel room like we planned, we paid for three hotel rooms. Yeah. My daughter was with me in the moving truck, and she had this oh, really bad, girl. like, skin eczema-type breakout. And so we got there, and she was just covered in these just terrible, rashy bumps. And it was it was an experience, for sure. <clears throat> Yikes. I can't imagine the Israelites' life in the wilderness. What a, what a, what a way to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even trying. Are we talking about the wilderness today? No, not at all. No. I mean, we're talking about uh, living water a little bit. Jeez. You could talk about Moses. Mm, Moses. No, but we are... Striking the rock for water. Yeah. We are starting our conversation with the question, is how can you tell that you have a relationship with somebody? Which I think is, at first, is like a weird question, mm-hmm. but then also not so much, because like you have these interactions with hundreds of people every week, and at what point does it go from just an interaction to a relationship? Yeah. Like what what is the, what is the flip, and then what is, what does it change when that happens? Mm. It's interesting how many layers there can be to that, because. Like a relationship typically requires two people to come to the table. And so you can have one person who says, oh yeah, I have a relationship with that person or I'm friends with that person. And then the other person might say, oh, we're not friends or, oh yeah, I met them once, you know. But then if it's like a, if it's two people. I don't even like them. (laughs) (laughs) What? No, I've never met them in my life. Being able to like both come to a point and say, yeah, we have a relationship together. It's not just a one-sided relationship. I would say if I have a one-sided relationship, it's probably not a relationship. It's probably something else. It's an acquaintance. It's a, a hopeful relationship. Hmm. There's a lot of layers to that. That's hard because then like, when you think of like how to build a relationship, 
it can often feel like, oh, I have to do these things to build this relationship. But then, like, if the other person doesn't want it or doesn't reciprocate, yeah, then things get weird quick. Yeah. Yeah. I've only had one time where it didn't get weird. It just got sad. (laughs) (laughs) So growing up, I had, like, I had plenty of friends in school, but I never had super close friends. And my first really close friend in my life was in college. And it was, I mean, our friendship didn't, like, end poorly or anything. It was really good, actually. He had gotten engaged, and his fiance was uh, not part of our friend group. And so just what happens when you get engaged is you just, you really start to step into the lives of the person, the life of the person that you're with. And so I just was seeing him far less often than I wanted to and eventually told him like, oh, I just miss, I miss being with you. And he just was like, yeah, I'm sorry, man. But this is like, this is how things are changing now. And, you know, I think that's a good thing. I don't feel sad looking at that time now. I think it was like, oh, that's really good. Like, I think it would have been really bad if he would just like, ah, yeah, I know I have to like go hang out with my fiance, but I'm not going to like, yeah. No, that would be terrible. Yeah, sometimes those changes can be hard, but then also looking back, you're like, yeah, it's a good thing that we don't have the... Like, my roommate in college, uh, I call him Masters, uh, he, I mean, he and I had a great relationship. We shared a room for years together. Yeah. But, like, if we still lived like that today... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I still love the guy, but... <laughs> It'd be weird. My college roommate coming to live with us right now would not be okay with Joy <laughs> at all. Any of them. Pick any of them. She would say absolutely not. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's good that things change. And I think that it really shows that some of the more important relationships we have in life, they're not just like you're having a relationship with one person. Joy brought this up to me last month. We were talking about something. And she said, actually, we're like, we're kind of married to like seven or eight different versions of us throughout our lifetime. We're not the same person that we were nine years ago. There's pieces that are similar or the same, but there's a lot that has changed in who we are. And so even that complexity of how can you tell you have a relationship with somebody when they're totally different from when you first met? Relationship is really progressive. What do you think motivates that? Motivates Motivates the the changes? No, the... The commitment to uh, to grow in relationship despite all of that. Hmm. That's a good question. Because like you and yeah. your friend, yeah, like you had there was a motivation for him to lessen his yeah. depth of relationship with you, which was good. Yeah. But like a spousal relationship, things change for sure. I'm yeah. not the same person I was when Kelsey and I first started dating yeah. an eternity ago. Thank God. But, <laughs> uh, and she's not either. I mean, a lot. there's a lot of things that change all the time. Yeah. So what then what is what motivates some... Yeah. What motivates the consistency yeah. of that? I mean, I think one thing for me, when I think about joy and why I'm motivated to continue is, like, well, one, she's way cuter than my friend in college was. Like, Really? Yeah. Oh. Super cute. That's like literally the worst reason <laughs> to be in a relationship, by the way, if you think that good looks are going to get you through 10 years just take a look at me this is not what kept joy with me (laughs) i've been on a slow downward spiral yeah i don't know what it is Hmm. i think there's pieces that i see of when we got married the the commitment of i don't know what's to come but whatever it is i want to be in it with you uh and even knowing that maybe there's some level of I think just coming to terms with that, that 
we don't know what the future holds and we, we are going to change over time but I'm committed to this version of you I'm, I'm committed to whatever the next version of you is and actually when it gets down to it I think commitment it really doesn't have to do with the other person at all hmm. like I think the only piece that commitment has to do sometimes is if the other person says yes I'll, I'll reciprocate or I'll, I'll even just accept your commitment to me but even then, like commitment can still be from one person to say, I'm committed no matter what. And that's the whole purpose, like in marriage, this whole concept, like till death do us part, sickness, health, really, really rich, really, really poor, whatever, I'm with you. And it, I mean, it has nothing to do with what the other person does or doesn't do at that point. Yeah, it's easy to think like you made the commitment on your wedding day and so now you have to live up to it. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like when it's described in that that way, it feels like a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I know for me it's super helpful to view commitment as like a it's like a every moment thing. Like I'm committing right now. I'm recommitting. I'm committing over again. I'm living in this commitment that I made. It's in that it affects my every moment rather than uh just something like that I like when you buy a house, you sign the documents. It'd be super weird if you just ne- never ended up moving in or you never fixed anything or you never like yeah. never were there. And in the same way, I think with a committed relationship, a commitment isn't a one-time thing. Sure. And I don't think you you never go into a commitment even knowing the outcome or knowing what it's going to yeah. be like at the end. Yeah. And then, John, where we're talking today, it's this moment where these people, they have essentially it's like almost like a decision moment half of the group says no we should arrest jesus he's not he's not the messiah he's not who he claims he is and the other half like thinks that he is and it's almost like half makes this commitment even though they're not sure if it's true or not yeah and i feel like a lot of time like faith and belief is that is commitment more than belief like it's 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 commitment to something rather than just blindly trying to force myself to believe something. Yeah. Yeah, being able to hold open-handedly, saying, I'm going to commit to this thing right now, because it seems like, and whatever seems like even means, I don't know, but it seems like this is true. So I'm going to commit to this process of faith and learning and growth, and just recognizing, like, we've probably learned some things that are incorrect, and we'll probably learn some things moving forward that are incorrect, and we'll need some shifting in our mindset, but... The thing I like about that picture of commitment is if it's not about the singular moment with a lot of pressure looking backward and trying to like maintain some kind of system of like, all right, the day I get married, I've got this list of vows to my wife and I'm going to fulfill them perfectly or else, you know, once I stop fulfilling the vows, we should just, we should just die. That's it. We screwed up. But the picture of commitment really is that I get to choose today if i've sucked for the last seven years in a specific area of my commitment to my wife i get the choice today to say i maybe don't know how and yeah maybe my track record is terrible and maybe i've developed some really really unhealthy habits of uh, like lack of commitment but today i want to commit today i want to pursue commitment today i want to like pursue growth and the same is true in faith i think we can have like this track record mindset of like here's where I've done really good or here's where I've done really poorly and all of it 
doesn't really matter that much. Like, am I deciding today, yeah, I want to commit to this process of faith. And Jesus Mm -hmm. here is amazing how he presents this thing to people. These people who knew enough of who he was, that they knew there was something special. They saw him do these miracles. He was standing up at all these really amazing points in Jewish culture and saying these powerful things. And he stands up and says, if any, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Yeah. Uh, anybody, not just like, oh, if, if you've done these 10 things perfectly, then come drink from me. Like, if yeah. anybody is thirsty, come drink. I am the living water. And I think I would have had roadblocks in my thinking if I would have heard Jesus say this at this festival. Yeah, I think, I mean, you said even if I've missed it, but I think it's not even I've necessarily missed it. Follow me with this metaphor. It may not work, but I'm going to try it. <sighs> so imagine go. on your wedding day, you enjoy... Disc golf. No, no, no. Oh, dang. You enjoy... I wish I had a disc golf metaphor <laughs> for this. No. On the wedding day, uh, you commit to making lasagna for joy. I like once a week is, I like where this is going and Joy she loves it back then right she loves your lasagna you make this best lasagna ever it's probably then, my mom's recipe yeah obviously. mom's recipe She's got lasagna, good, good lasagna recipe. super super cheesy <laughs> but then four years down the road something happens and Joy becomes lactose intolerant yeah you can in that moment you can say no I made the commitment to make you lasagna every week you're gonna eat it and you're just gonna <laughs> this have the farts this is what we committed to yeah this is what we committed to yeah or you're going to change change your commitment yeah. because the person has changed. And yeah. I think in the same way we in in the church we've created these like this is what is true, this is what is right yeah. and it's become a roadblock to seeing true reality and true truth. Yeah. Like we hold up to these these things that uh, at one point were probably useful and helpful and good. Yeah. But then We've, as humanity has progressed, we've started to realize that these things have become roadblocks in our faith to where we can't see who Christ actually is. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's a lot of my growth and my faith has been those, I've become lactose intolerant to, (laughs) (laughs) to a lot of like the, the norms and traditions that I understood the church to be. And not that they're evil or bad, but they give me gas. (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, for sure. And I would say there's even some things that, I mean, maybe they, they are bad to me. They, they are sure. harmful to me, for sure. And I think there is even like a, a growing up. I've talked with my counselor a lot about lately of what does it look like to be able to allow yourself to grow up and to grow out of some things. And thinking sometimes that we have to have certain things in our life that maybe we just don't have to have. They don't have to always be there. And um, just being able to say, I don't need this thing anymore. Hmm. Uh, We were talking about um, just like different sodas or energy drinks. And as a kid, like there was this, uh, it was some kind of off-brand energy cola. They had a cola and they had a blue raspberry version, and they came in these like 27 ounce cans with a circular metal cap that you twisted off, and when you twisted, the whole can went Okay. And it was like, (laughs) smoke came out of the top. It was the coolest thing, and I I promise, if I found one of those today and took a sip, I would be disgusted with myself. But you loved them back then. But I loved them back then. But like something as simple as that, I've, I've grown out of it to the point now that Literally, if somebody gave it to me, I would say, no, I don't, I don't want this. And how many of those kind of things in our, the way we think, the way we live, the things that we think are just supposed to be the way they are, we just hold on to. 
And maybe God's saying, actually, like, I want to walk with you in process that you're allowed to grow out of this. You're allowed to get to a point where you look back and if someone would hand you this, you can say, I literally don't want that anymore. Yeah, it's like the Pharisees in this moment, they're like, uh, you're not how the Messiah is supposed to be. You're yeah. not doing what the Messiah is supposed to be doing. You're not from, not like, they're trying to check all the boxes to make sure Jesus is who he is rather than seeing Jesus for who he really is. Yeah. And these things like, these things that may have been in good intention have become roadblocks in their lives to seeing the new thing that that God is doing in this moment. You know, he's doing it. Yuck. I like that you brought in Jeremiah 2 here. Um, this point where Israel, I mean, so many points through the Old Testament where Israel really forsakes God. And I think it's because they either don't understand how God is doing things, they, they're just confused, or that God is not really meeting their needs in the way that they hope. Hmm. And so they go trying in their own strength to come up with success, trying either through, like, we're going to worship other gods and hopefully those other gods will meet our needs, or we're just going to take matters into our own hands. We see it when the Israelites are out of Egypt. We've talked about it a lot in the last few weeks of they groaned and complained in the wilderness that, you know, as they were hungry and needing food and water, they said to Moses, Why'd you bring us out here to die? We should have stayed in Egypt. Literally this place where they were enslaved. We should have stayed as slaves. And uh, this Jeremiah text, uh, Jeremiah really paints this picture that God's speaking through him to the people, saying, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, again, this picture of water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And uh, if you look up cisterns, they're interesting. And big jugs. Big, big I should jugs. not have said that on the <laughs> But really, they hold a ton of water. And these cisterns, like literally painting this picture, these people are trying to come up with their own way of holding on to what they need for life. And it, it doesn't work. <laughs> and to get to a point of trusting God and letting Him fill us with water, it really does require trust that God is who he says he is. In this moment where Jesus is in front of us and he looks different than we expect, or he doesn't check all the boxes that maybe we think he should, just like the Pharisees are questioning him. and Can we really trust, even when we don't have all the answers, that God is who he says he is? That's that's hard. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus continues to refer to himself as, like, the, well, from me, the rivers of, life and rivers and water and all these metaphors that we've talked about over and over in John that Scott is kind of obsessed with at this point. <laughs> you know, I'm diving in. I'm going deep. <laughs> over you know, my, my head. head. I want to be. Yeah. Uh, but it's like this challenge and Jesus says at the end that uh, he essentially says, if you if you have life in me, if you believe in me, then your life will, will be like a ri- you will participate in the flowing river. Like mm. you will be part of it. Mm. And, uh, He's referring to the the spirit and God's um, I don't know God's presence with humanity. Uh, I think spirit is a hard concept to understand a lot of times. Yeah. Um, it you know I I view it best as an Old Testament setting. If you look in uh, Leviticus and and the the way that the temple and the tabernacle were created and the way that uh, they were guided by fire during the day and guided by the star at night. Like these are physical representations of God's spirit mm. um, in a physical place. Like these things 
matter and make a difference. And now Jesus is saying that that is available to every person individually. Hmm. Um, so breaking down a system that was for a group of people to uh, individualize it and uh, participate with it. Um, I don't know. How do you understand spirit? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I think there's so much that has to do with uh, water representing the spirit all through scripture. Um, I don't I don't see that so clearly, but I mean, John is really, really intentional about making this connection that water represents the spirit of God and uh, literally come to me and, and drink deeply. I will cause this water to spring up from within you. Literally, like come connect with my spirit and I will give you my spirit. And I, I love the connection back to the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel is referred to as the the son of man so often through the writing and Jesus comes proclaiming himself as the son of man as well. So a cool connection there. But this point in the text where Ezekiel 36, um, God is speaking, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And this is long before Jesus shows up. Hmm. Uh, But just this picture that spirit has so much to do with the work that God is doing in us and the things that we are, uh, even saying yes to that he is inviting us to rather than trying to like get our way to something. We're not trying to like manufacture something. We're not trying to like, Oh, I just got to go get this thing. I think God's really willing to, to give us things and to do work in us. And it requires trust. It's kind of this revolutionary picture of like a lot of ancient religions where uh, what do we have to do to appease God or get God to do what we want? Or how do we get to God? How do we elevate mm-hmm. ourselves? I mean, you can go back to the Tower of Babel and the building this tower to try to reach heaven so that mm-hmm. they could be like the gods. And it's like almost this moment that this idea of spirit flips everything upside down. It's yeah. not us trying to get to God, but spirit is a representation of God trying to get to us and making available his presence with us. Yeah. And it doesn't end with just like, it's not just this touchy Haley like, oh, yay, God's here. It's like, it empowers us. It's this river. It's not, it's not just flowing into us, but to flow out of us. Yeah, and there's yeah. a goodness that yeah. comes out of it. It's not that we are finally in possession of this thing. It's not, we've entered this living, moving thing that is communal, that we have decided to step into this river. And a river, I mean... If you've ever seen a river, you know that it's not human-sized. The smallest of rivers are still these massive bodies of water, typically, that stretch for many, many feet, miles, hundreds of miles sometimes. Uh, it's, not, it's not just about me. I mean, it's really amazing, this picture, this river of living water we're invited to step into, to drink deeply of, even, and uh, to allow these broken cisterns to just be things with... I don't need that anymore. Um, I can grow out of that because I've seen and I've trusted and I, I can see that even even though I still have questions, I don't have everything figured out. God, I see that you're truthful when you say that I can drink deeply from you and that you really are a cistern that won't break. Yeah. it's good. Yeah, that's going to be our conversation on Sunday. We'd love for you to join us, um, North Loop, Uptown, Camden, or online. And... Uh, Hope you guys have a wonderful week.